So we've come to Genesis 26 through our journey, through the book of Genesis. We've looked at the life of Abraham for the last few weeks. And Genesis 26, it's interesting because really this is the only chapter that Isaac gets all to himself. Uh, Many other times where we see Isaac, he's usually attached to his father Abraham or he's attached to one of his sons, whether it's Jacob or Esau. But here Isaac gets a chapter really to himself. And a few things that we're going to see here, a few exhortations and words of warning. We're going to see what happens when you're faced with a trial or a tough decision and we go through it without consulting the Lord, just uh, the mess it makes of things. We'll see how the actions of us as parents, they have a lot to do with how our sons and daughters are going to react to different situations in their lives. We'll also be reminded as sons and daughters that ultimately our decisions are ours and ours alone. We can't just blame it on our parents or on our nature or nurturing or even on God himself. And finally, we will continue to see the difference of Esau and Jacob. How Esau's a warning to us because what we are prone to do, maybe not you guys, maybe just me, what I'm prone to do is to serve whatever leads to my comfort, whatever leads to my happiness, whatever in a sense fills my belly. Whatever helps me feel better and feel fuller. This is the life that Esau goes down, which is contrary to that of believers. We as believers, we should always be looking for the Lord, looking for his spirit. Lord, what would you have me to do today? And being reminded how Christ said, hey, you want to follow me? You need to deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Crucify yourself and follow me. So lots of stuff to see here in this chapter And finally, the importance of digging for God's word. The importance of begging and pleading, Lord, speak to me through your word. So we're here in Genesis chapter 26, verse 1 through 5. It says, There was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your descendants all these lands, And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. If we're reminded from last chapter, Isaac, he is the son of promise. He's the son of the spirit. He's the son that has been foretold to Abraham for years and years and years. And even though he was chosen, even though he was blessed by God... He was not above going through trials. And here we find him going through a famine in the land. And in the last chapter, we found him and his wife, Rebecca, having to go through 20 years before they were able to have their own sons, before they were able to have their first sons. So again, it's a reminder to us, 
One of the promises Jesus gave to us was in this world you will have tribulation. Right? We don't like that verse that much, right? It's a word of comfort knowing that when we go through trials and tribulations, no matter who tells us what, it's just something that happens in this life. It's not necessarily because you've sinned or because someone else has sinned in your life. It's just what Christ has warned us about. We should be reminded of that constantly, that we will go through trials and tribulations. And how we react to these trials and tribulations oftentimes will lead us to mature and grow in our relationship with God. Or it will lead us to drift away and sort of fall apart in our walk with God. As we looked at on Wednesday in Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, it will lead us to drift away. Because the trial comes, the storm comes, and instead of holding on to dear life for God, we go back to our emotions, back to our feelings, past sins, and past mistakes which we once made. Here we see this man named Abimelech. It's a great name for a dog. Maybe you have a kid coming. You want to call him Abimelech, right? Great name for an alligator or crocodile. Uh, but Abimelech, it's not his name. It's simply a title. The king of the Philistines, the king in Gerar, his name was Abimelech. And we see Isaac's father going through almost the same exact situation in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. It tells us, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. And the mistake that Abram made, and now we see Isaac making, is that they're making these decisions for themselves, for their families, and for everyone around them without consulting the Lord. They're just going based off what they think. They're going based off what they know. They're going based off what makes sense, going based on what's rational, and not saying, Lord, how do you want to speak to me? Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? They are reacting just for the sake of reacting. And family, we have to be so careful with this, right? Our world, our news, our media is constantly bombarding us with information. And we need to make decisions with the information. Whether it's sicknesses, whether it's the market, whether it's one day bacon's good for you, the next day bacon's bad for you, right? One day this is great for you, the next day this is terrible for you. Your kid should always watch TV, your kid should never watch TV, right? We're bombarded with all this information and we can make decisions just based on what's rational instead of seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? And don't get it twisted, probably 90% of the decisions we should make, even going through Proverbs, are really rational decisions. But... Sometimes the Lord likes working outside the box and for us to take these great steps of faith for him. So Abram, he made a decision simply based on his flesh, based on his rational making decisions. They go down to Egypt. Isaac started making his way down to Egypt. But now verse 2, the Lord appears to him and tells him, hey, do not go down to Egypt. The Lord intervenes and stops Isaac from leaving the promised land and reminds him of the promises that he made to his father. And now he remakes this promise with him, with Isaac himself. In Genesis chapter 17, if you would, we can turn there. 
And here we see the Lord making the same promise to Abraham and then telling Abraham, hey, one day I'm going to make this covenant with your son, with your son Isaac. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6 through 8, it tells us, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Then in verse 19, it reads, Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And here the Lord is fulfilling that promise to Abraham, making this covenant with Isaac. Again, I don't know who said it, but he was a very wise man. He said, God has no grandchildren. God only has children. It's a great reminder to us, just because our parents walk with the Lord doesn't mean that you get a free ticket into heaven. That this relationship with God, it must be our own walk and relationship with the Lord. And here, God, in a sense, is beginning or continuing this relationship with Isaac. And in verse 5, it's amazing, right? He says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed, I'm going to bless you. And family, we need to obey. We need to obey the Lord. That's the only way we can truly taste of the blessings and the goodness of God. Is when we're obedient to Him. Not just one time. Not just, Lord, I followed you for a week. Where's all the blessings? Where's all the promises? But making it just a habit in our lives to trust in the Lord and believe in the Lord. And it starts off in what? In Genesis 15, verse 6, it starts off with faith and trust in the Lord. In Genesis 15, verse 6, it tells us of Abram. He believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We've gone through the life of Abraham. We all know Abraham was far from perfect. Far from perfect. Infidelity, marrying another woman, throwing his wife under the bus, not once, but twice, right? He did all sorts of craziness, but yet he trusted in the Lord and he had faith in God. Again, family, are we willing to take steps of faith with the Lord? That's the only way we can taste of his blessings. You're complaining things are going bad, kids are going off, your marriage isn't what it should be. Are you being obedient to the Lord? Are you being obedient to what the Bible has to say about life, about marriage, about godliness, about morality, about what's right and wrong? That's the only way we can really taste and see that the Lord is good. And we can say, hey, I believe in the Lord. I have faith. I raised my hand one time. I came up to the front of the altar one time. But that's not a life of faith. That's not a life of faith, right? Man, I should be in better shape. I went to the gym that one time, and I thought that would fix everything. 
I thought I'd be in great shape, right? You go to the doctor, all your levels are off, and man, doc, I had a salad one time. I thought I'd be better than this, right? You're telling me I have to eat salad more than once to be healthy? And this is how often we can treat the Lord. We want the Lord's kingdom. We want his blessings, but we don't want the king. We just simply don't want the king. We want the kingdom. We want the goodness, and we want the blessings. And going through the Bible, the blessings and the promises, they're pretty insane that people get if they would just be obedient to the Lord. But you know what always happens? They don't stay obedient to the Lord. And the same is true for us. There will come a time when we fall and fail, but we need to come back and lean on the Lord. Because he does. He has incredible blessings and promises for us. We continue Genesis 26, verse 6 through 9. It tells us, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, this sounds familiar, right? She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw. And there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. And then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife, right? Brothers and sisters, don't kiss each other that way, right? So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. Again, Isaac literally just heard all the blessings and promises that God had for him. He's faced with the trial. What does he lean on? The flesh. He doesn't go back to the blessings, the promises. Okay, God, you promised me all these blessings. I can't have those blessings if I'm dead. Right? I'm not really a blessed man if I'm dead. So, Lord, you have to come through with this. But instead, he goes back to what? His cunningness, that heel catcher, that riding other people's coattails. So, in this sense, he's going to ride his wife's coattail. He's going to throw her out there, throw her under the bus, have her be the shield in front of him to take all the brunt of the problems and say, at least I will survive. And, men, this is something we can even do today. We can put our wives to have to face all the problems that we should be facing. Instead of facing problems head on, we tell our wife, hey, you go do my dirty work. It's bad enough she has to do her actual dirty laundry. Hopefully she doesn't have to do the spiritual dirty laundry, right? The kids are misbehaving. Honey, you go take care of that. Sin is coming in the house. Hey, honey, you go take care of that. Prayer meetings coming up. Hey, honey. You go take care of that. We as men, we need to be at the forefront. And again, this relationship of a husband and a wife, how we hope to see it today, that's a Christian idea. That's a Christian more because women throughout most of history, they've been treated as cattle, as another item within the home. But through Christianity, that's where God and Christ, the word tells us, hey, no, you are both made in the image of God. You're to care for one another, love for one another, love each other as Christ loved the church, submit to one another. That is a Christian idea. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 19, and Genesis 20, verse 2, we see Abraham making the same mistake that Isaac did, right? Abraham, he's faced with a pagan king. His wife is gorgeous. So what does he say? 
Self-preservation. Honey, you go out there. If you die or if he marries you, if you have to have sex with another man, all is good as long as I live, as long as I survive. Abraham does the same thing. She is my sister. She is my sister. And parents, there's a great warning to us. And we'll see that throughout this chapter, throughout the next chapter, throughout the whole Bible. For Christians, you're single here, you're married, anybody here. We need to live life as an example of Christ. We can't be telling people, hey, do as I say, but don't do what I do. Right? Does anybody enjoy that type of leadership? We love those bosses that get on us when we're late to work, and then they stroll in at 10.15, right? And then, oh, I'll be right back. I forgot my coffee. I'm going to be right back, right? We hate it. It turns our stomach. We want vengeance. We want what's right. And yet, oftentimes, this is how we live our lives. We tell the quote-unquote unbeliever that we're trying to reach out to, no, you need to trust in the Lord. You need to live life right. All the while, we're going after our own flesh. And throughout the New Testament, there's a warning for us to live in such a way that we don't disqualify ourselves from preaching the gospel. We need to be sure that I'm living life and following the Lord, not just by my words, but by my actions. I don't know about you. I know none of the teachers here or PE teachers here. But in PE, sometimes I'd be a little bit confused. We'd be going through our physical fitness test. We'd be running all these miles, doing all these push-ups. And as we're running our miles, the coach would be following us in a golf cart. I'm saying, bro, what's going on here, man? I don't know if you could run a mile, right? What's going on here? You're telling me to do this, but you yourself wouldn't be able to do it. And we live our lives so often like that. As a youth pastor, I've seen it. Parents telling me to bring up their kids in the ways of the Lord when I'm only with them two hours the whole week. I can't do it. When I get to heaven, yes, I will stand before the Lord for the two hours a week I have with your kids. But dads, you're going to be the one to stand before the Lord for your wife and for your family. I have my responsibility, but you have yours as well. I love what Gail Irwin said. He said, I've tried to teach my kids good manners at the dinner table, but they all eat like me. <laughs> we can't tell our kids, hey, you go to church, you follow the Lord, you go to youth group, you go on Wednesdays. Dad is tired. Dad doesn't feel like reading his Bible. Hey, I'm going to put you in a Christian school so you grow with the Lord, but like the apostles, right? But I go fishing, right? I'm going to go do me, and you go follow the Lord. We have to be careful with that. It's bad things that can happen for us. As parents, we have to be a good example. But we're going to see here, Isaac, he can't just blame all of his life's decisions and choices on his dad, on his upbringing, on nature itself, or even on the Lord. In verse 10, a pagan king has to call out a believer. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall be surely put to death. And again, this is great comfort for us with the Lord, that even when we're faithless, the Lord remains faithful. The Lord still protects Isaac. The Lord still protects Rebekah here in this situation. But a warning to us here, even the pagan kings in this time period, 
and even some pagan kings today, they know that infidelity, affairs, sex outside of marriage, it is wrong. It is wrong. There'd be some of these pagan kings that we would think are monsters, they would never watch the TV shows that are on today. The, some of the TV shows that even Christians watch today. Right? How do we treat infidelity? Are we cool with it? Is it funny to us? Is it enjoyable? Do we just say, hey, that's, that's just TV? Is that what you want your spouse doing to you? Is that what you want your mom to do to your dad or your dad to do to your mom? And yet we watch these things. We feed on these things. We watch them with our kids at our side. Again, what do we hold as true? What the Bible has to say about family, about sex, about relationships? Or do we say, hey, America, whatever you say, I'm good with. Hey, Internet, whatever you say must be true, right? Hopefully, no, that's not the case. But Internet, whatever you say must be true. So I'm good with what you have to say is okay or not okay. Even the pagan kings, they knew that sleeping with another man's wife was wrong. However, how did they deal with it? They would just kill the guy, right? Oh, pobrecita, she has no husband now. Let me go ahead and marry her. That's how they would deal with it. That's why he went to self-preservation instead of saying, Lord, you're my defender, you're my rock, you're my fortress. Then Abimelech gives this charge, hey, nobody's to touch him or his wife. And now verse 12, it tells us, Isaac sowed in that land. And he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. A good reminder too is when Abraham passed away, who did he give the complete inheritance to? He gave it all to Isaac. He gave a couple gifts to his different sons. But he gave the entire inheritance to Isaac. So what does Isaac do? Does he just live off all the work that his dad had done? No, he still is working. He is still sowing. He's still reaping. And then what does the Lord do because of his hard work? The Lord blesses him. And Abraham, he was really, really wealthy, right? It was like he's filthy rich with the amount of herds and cattle and flocks and money and servants that he had. He had his own private army, if we remember. He had 300 men that he had been training all their lives for, war, for warfare. We know when he sent Eliezer, that servant, across to go find a wife for Isaac, he sent them with 10 camels and herds of cattle. And yet Isaac didn't just sit fat on his dad's work. He still worked hard. Again, men, women here, as Christians, we should be working hard. It's just a part of life. It's biblical truth. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. It's simply what the Bible tells us. Should we be kind? Should we be loving? Should we give those cups of cold water or that bread or that egg? Yes, we should. But if a man doesn't work, he should not eat. We should be reminded in heaven, what are we going to be doing? Working. Oh, man, I don't want to go to heaven anymore. Right? What's going on? We should be reminded it's a joy and honor to work for the Lord. And that's how we should treat our jobs. That's how we should treat doing the dishes at home. That's how we should treat doing changing the diapers at home. I'm not doing this for you, kid. I'm doing this for Jesus, right? I'm doing this for the Lord. That's how we should treat all the work that we find ourselves in. Because if not, we will grow bitter with work. And that's dangerous, family. 
And heaven will be working and the seven years will be working and the thousand year reign of the Lord will be working. But working for the Lord is joyous. And when we work for the Lord, we will be blessed. We just had a prophecy conference last week and it was a joy. It was an honor working on that. Seeing all the servants working together. So many different remarks from people of how this is what true service looks like, what true servants look like. Wow, they, man, this is what heaven's going to look like and feel like. Had one sweet lady, Maria, she came up to me, she says, it's not like they just have a mask of being a servant. Deep in their hearts, they're actual servants. And it was a joy, it was a blessing. Some people put in 12 hours, some people put in 40 hours that week just working on the conference. And I haven't heard any remarks yet. What a waste of my time. What a regret. I should have never done that. Please tell me if that's how you feel, right? We want to know. But all we get is, man, that was so fun. That was so joyful. That was so exciting. Family, are we serving the Lord? Not just at home, not just at work, but even here at the church. Are you serving the Lord? You are robbing yourself of a blessing that the Lord wants to give you. Just know that. You are robbing yourself of a blessing that the Lord wants to give you. Verse 15 through 17, the Philistines see all his blessings. They know what the Lord had done for him. And now verse 15, now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And then Isaac departed from there. And pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. The Philistines, they grew more and more with envy and jealousy for the blessings that Isaac had on his life. To the point that they were filling up Isaac's wells and the wells of Abraham. They were filling them up with landfill. And they would force them out of their areas even though... Abraham had made a covenant with the last Abimelech. You can write down Genesis 21, verse 30. Abraham, he gives this Abimelech tons of different animals. He gives him a feast. And he tells him, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. And I don't know when the last time you saw a well was. But there's a lot of work that goes behind taking a well, digging a well. In Miami, it's a blessing and it's a curse, right? You go down six inches and you hit coral rock, right? You want a well in Miami, you could probably go 10 feet down and you strike water. In Headwaters, Virginia, I know some of their wells were 1,000 feet down in order to get water. I don't think Abraham dug 1,000 feet down. But however, again, imagine you've put in all this work digging, working, digging, working just to have someone fill it up with rocks, with dirt, and tell you to move on. How would you react? How would we react? Would we blow our witness there? Would we say, hey, I'm going to empty out the well, I'm going to put you in, and then I'm going to cover it again, right? How would you react? We see Isaac trusting in the Lord here. Maybe he learned from his mistakes and just going off his emotions, feelings, and his own belly. But instead, he didn't go to war over these wells. He was the bigger man, and he just moved on. We'll look later at some great Proverbs in this regard. In verse 18 through 
19, now we'll look at some of the spiritual application that we can look from this. It says, And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. And also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. Throughout the lives of Abraham and Isaac, we've seen a lot of famines. We've seen a lot of famines. Climate change is not just today, right? There's been a constant season, a constant ebb and flow throughout the world since Abraham and Isaac. And there were famines happening on and off. We can be reminded there's no indoor plumbing. There's no Publix to go fill up your five-gallon water jugs. There's no hose to just turn on. Everything for life is at the well. Everything that had to do with life, you had to have a well in order to survive. Much less a man that had a wife, had two sons, had servants, had sheep, had oxen, had cattle. He needed to be connected to a well. And family, the same is true for our spiritual lives. We must be connected to a well. And for us, thank the Lord, unless you go on a mission trip, it may not be a physical well, but for us, it's a spiritual well, right? God's word is constantly pointed out as the water to wash us, to renew us, to cleanse us. As husbands, we should be reading the word, encouraging our wives with the word to wash them, to purify them, and to cleanse them. However, we must be willing to dig deep and put in hard work to hear from the Lord, especially when there's a famine. Especially when there's a famine, we need to be willing to get water, spiritual water, for our Lord and for our family. Again, we live in Miami. Hurricanes happen every few years, sometimes lots of times in one year. And what always happens, right? All the water goes out. All the food goes out. Everybody's losing their minds. So husbands, what do you tell your wives? Just got no water, honey. I guess we'll be okay. Is that what you tell your wife? I hope not, right? You got to get the water. You got to get the food to protect and provide for your family. A pretty neat trick. Thank God we got pretty good water in Miami. Just fill up some jugs at home. Drink from the tap. You'll be okay, right? But for us, do we provide for our families? How much more should we be providing for our families the spiritual water, especially in days of famine? Let's turn to two scriptures. The first one's in Amos chapter 8. And the second one after that will be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. That we need to be willing to dig deep to the well that we would hear from the Lord. Amos chapter 8. And in verse 11, it tells us, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing the words of the Lord. Now let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the Lord through Paul gives a very similar warning to his son in the faith, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, it tells us, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Family, right now we are in a famine, and it's a famine for the word of God. That's all the more reason why we need to be digging deep to get water from the well of the Lord. We need to. If not, we will die. Our families will die. We will dry up. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be washing ourselves in the word of God. And we drink from different wells, right? And we work hard to drink from those wells. Whether it's the news or media, whether it's something on the coronavirus, right? Whether it's your favorite sports team or your favorite artist, we can dig so deep to gather information. If we're honest, today in this day and age, we have much more information than we ever needed, and yet we'll still dig for hours and hours and hours, YouTube video after YouTube video, right? Google search after Google search on Reddit, on forums, I need this information, right? We can dig for the Word of God. We can dig. We should be digging. This is the only thing that pertains to life and godliness. This is the only thing that will not only last today, but it's going to last for all of eternity. We go back to Genesis 26, and in verse 19, it's so sweet. It says, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. Again, Isaac, he's faced with a different trial. The first time it was the famine. Now it's being pushed around from well to well. But he's willing to dig. He's willing to do things right. He's in the midst of the valley. He's in the midst of the trial. In the midst of the tribulation. And yet he turns to the Lord. And family, the same is true for us. Oftentimes in the valleys, when we turn to the Lord, you will get a constant flow of the Holy Spirit through his word. Those times when life is difficult. When things don't make sense and we say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to live by faith and not by sight. I'm going to turn to your word. I'm going to spend more time in your word, more time at church, more time in fellowship. Because, God, I need you desperately. So often those are some of the sweetest times and seasons in our lives. But now if we react to the valley or the trial with bitterness or anger or resentment or emotions... It'll do the exact opposite. Instead of getting a constant flow from the Holy Spirit in the midst of the trial and tribulation, our hearts will get hard. We'll turn away from that water, and in a sense, we'll shrivel up, we'll dry up, and we'll become more bitter than ever. Family, when we're in the trials, when we're in the valleys, have that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled, as Matthew 5, verse 6 tells us. Verse 20 through 23, but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying the water is ours. So they called the name of the well Esek, which means strife, because they quarreled with him. I loved how they named things in this day and age. Everything was, hey, that looks like Harry, so his name is Harry. Here we had a bunch of strife, so I'm going to call this the well of strife. Right? Verse 21, they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, which means contention. Verse 22, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. 
So he called this name Rehoboth, which means roominess or room for us. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in this land. And then he went up from there to Beersheba. Again, Isaac, he's learning here how to rest in the Lord. We don't see him fighting these men. We don't see him killing these men. We see him trusting in the Lord, moving from well to well. You want it? Whatever, man. The well is yours. You want to fight? No fight. I'll move on. And Isaac, each time, what does he do? He gives the glory to God. Whenever there's a well, whenever there's life, he gives the glory to the Lord. Even when he had to constantly be moving because of strife and contention. He didn't take it into his own hands. He didn't say, oh Lord, like David, you've conditioned my hands for warfare. So help me beat this guy up, right? It's not what he's saying. He's just moving from well to well. And there's a balance within the things of God, right? We need a balance, just like with Abraham and Isaac. They were men of wealth and affluence. And today there's lies going around that Christians shouldn't have wealth, right? Christians shouldn't have a ton of money. They should give it to me. That's terrible, man. That's socialism. That's communism, right? That's terrible. Hey, I don't want to work as much. Let me get all the extra you got. That's not of the Lord. The Lord, he raises different people up and he gives to some more than others because they have a heart of giving or they know how to take care of the money in a way that's better than you know how to take care of your money. So that's why they have the money and not you, right? That's why the Lord does these things. And there's often times in our lives when we're going to need to fight. And there's times when we need to sit down and relax. In Proverbs 17 verse 14, there's some great wisdom here from the book of Proverbs for each and every one of us. Proverbs 17 verse 14 and then Proverbs 20 verse 3 and 17 14 it tells us the beginning of strife is like releasing water therefore stop contention before a quarrel starts in Proverbs chapter 20 verse 3 it tells us it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Again, we need to be wise. When someone wants to start a fight and pick a fight, hey man, you get the well. Don't worry about it. That's all yours, right? Next hurricane that comes, right? Everybody's freaking out, taking all the water. And how are we treating other people? When you're there in the supermarket, are you throwing elbows trying to get first in line? I need the water. I need the hand sanitizer. Or Lord, I trust. Man, you go on ahead. You need some extra water? I got water for you, man. And just to be relaxed, to trust in the Lord. All throughout the New Testament, there's a warning, especially for people that want church leadership, that they cannot be a brawler. They cannot be a person that loves to fight. And we all know people like that. People that love to fight. Sometimes it's the person in the mirror, and that person just loves to fight, right? You say up, they must say down. Hey, the sky looks kind of gray today. No, it's a grayish blue. Yeah, it's spring forward. No, you just got to put your clock ahead an hour. Man, relax. Leave me alone. Relax. We know people like that. We must be sure that we are not like that. And again, we can always look back to Christ, the balance of Jesus and his life. So often when there was a fight, the Pharisees were getting heated. They were wanting to take him. What did he do? He was like a ninja just as he disappeared into the crowd, knowing that they were trying to take him away. And yet there's other times he's in 
the Temple Mount. He sees what the Pharisees are doing. And the Bible tells us literally that he's fashioning a whip to whip the Pharisees out of the temple. So our God, our Lord, he is balanced. He is perfect righteousness, perfect law, but perfect love and perfect grace. We need to be balanced as well as believers, not when it comes to sin, but when it comes to our lives, characteristics of our lives. We go back to Genesis 26, verse 24. What does the Lord do? Man, he blesses him. Verse 24, the Lord appears to him the same night, and he says, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. It seems as if Isaac's relationship with the Lord now is really growing because this is his first appearance of God himself to Isaac. Isaac seems to be following in his father Abraham's footsteps. He's building altars to the Lord. He's dwelling in tents and he's digging wells. It seems like the sky's the limit for this guy. He was able to have his life spared by the Lord at a young age. He was willing to give up his life to be obedient to his dad. His relationship, his testimony, sky's the limit. But sad to say, this, in a sense, is almost the peak of Isaac's relationship with the Lord. A man that had so much promise, a man that had so much given to him, and yet this is almost his peak. And it's a warning to us. We can't just dwell on I used to serve the Lord. I used to follow the Lord. Oh, if you saw me in my youth, you would see how much I serve the Lord. No, every day we need to be giving the Lord our absolute best. Because if we just allow ourselves to drift, where we drift to is sin. Where we drift to is the flesh. And sadly, Isaac, we'll read the next chapter next time we're together. And it's, what happened to this guy? Where is that young man that was willing to sacrifice his own life to be obedient to his dad and the Lord? He seems unrecognizable. But we continue, verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Pickle, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you. And since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast. And they ate and they drank and then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Family, how would we react? Imagine someone puts sugar in your gas tank. One time, you forgive them. Sugar in your gas tank a second time, you forgive them. They're pushing you out of Miami. You move to Georgia and then all of a sudden they appear. Say, hey, what's up, man? What are you doing here? You drove me away. I was kind to you. I was gracious to you. And I say, hey, let's make a promise to each other. What in the world? I don't know about you. I don't know if I can handle that. 
And yet Isaac, he doesn't respond with bitterness. He doesn't respond with revenge. Even though he had constantly been driven out from all over Gerar and out of the Philistines. And because he did not respond in the flesh, he's able to give a testimony to the Lord. And others can continue to see the Lord in him. Family, we have to be careful. We have to play the long game. We have to think of people's souls, people's eternity. When people may be rude or difficult or obnoxious, man, be kind to them. Be loving to them. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That should be our lives as believers. Even our enemies should be at peace with us. Sometimes we can live our life and think everybody's against us. We can't hang out with anybody. We only have two people that we're kind of okay with until they cross us and then they're dead forever, right? We shouldn't be living like that as believers. Everybody makes mistakes. May we be reminded that we were once enemies of the cross. And yet how does Christ deal with us when we say, Lord, would you make this covenant with me? Lord, you've done all the hard work. You've given the gift. I've been running from you, fighting you, fleeing from you. Lord, I've done all sorts of atrocities against you. And how does he respond to us? Like Isaac. He sets out that feast and he says, hey, come, eat with me. Let's make this covenant. Let's make this promise to one another. We need to be careful. We need to take care of our testimony. So even one day if we can share the Lord with our enemies, that we're able to do so, that we don't make ourselves disqualified from sharing the gospel with someone. Verse 32, again, we see the Lord's blessing here. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said to him, we have found water. And so he called it Sheba, and therefore the name of that city is Beersheba to this day. The Lord blessed Isaac the same day that he shows great mercy and great kindness to these men who drove him out. Family, are we forgiving one another? Are we merciful? Are we kind? Are we gracious? Or are we just cutting people's throats, right? Reminds me of this one time. It was a long time ago, but we had just gotten married, and this lady warned me in front of like 50 people. She said, hey... I don't want you to go on and get super fat now that you're married and you're going to have a kid soon. I didn't know how to respond, so I just said, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And some people said, well, what, are you, what, you said thank you to that? I said, what am I supposed to say? What else am I going to say? The confusing thing is the, the week afterwards, she came to me. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I said. Here's a bag of brownies. Like, wait, wait, what's going on? What am I supposed to do here? This is so hard, right? We need to be kind to people. Everybody has a bad day. Everybody has an off day, man. We need to be kind. We need to be gracious. I wish I could say I do that every day. I don't do that every day. Verse 34, it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beri, and the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elion, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. I hope you remember the great lengths that Abraham went to in order to keep his son Isaac to marry any woman from the pagans. 
Abraham did not want that for his son. And he was willing to go to great lengths to protect his son from ever marrying one of the pagan women. In Genesis 24, if you would, let's turn there. And all throughout this chapter, Abraham repeats the same thing over and over and over again to his servant. And in Genesis 24, verse 2 through 4, it tells us, So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So what in the world happened with Esau? What in the world happened with Isaac? Did Isaac not emphasize this in his son Esau? Did he forget to make this a huge statement like Abraham made in Isaac's life? You will not marry a pagan wife. You are not to marry a pagan woman. Perhaps it was Isaac's favoritism to Esau that blinded him to see the sins and the frailties and the weaknesses in his son, his favorite son, as he straight up says. Family, we need to be careful as parents, again, as believers, that we're not just talking about the gospel, but that we're living it out. And that we're not just living it out, but that we're also talking about it. We need to do both. Parents, do your kids know your testimony? Do they know that there was once a day that their parents were just heathens? Do they know that? Do they know your testimony? Or do they just think, no, God just dropped mom and dad from heaven. They've been perfect ever since. They live perfectly. They're always right. That's what they tell me. They're always right. So I guess they're from heaven. They never sin. They never make mistakes. Now, as they're younger, you can give them the Spark Notes version, the real short version. And as they get older, share your testimony with them. Be reminded of where you came from. Be reminded how you were acting when you were their age. Be reminded that apart from the Lord, I can do nothing. And we don't know what happened here with Isaac and Esau. Perhaps he didn't tell him, hey, Grandpa Abraham, he made it a point to make sure we never marry or intermingle with these unsaved people. And what does Esau do? He doubles down on it. Not only does he marry a pagan woman, but he marries two pagan women. Listening to a teaching, right? His name is Harry. The guy came out of the womb looking like Chewbacca. Maybe he thought, man, I'm never going to get married. There's two women that want to marry me? Hey, I may never get this chance again, right? We don't know what he was thinking, what he was believing. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we read this last week. It reminds us of Esau's heart, of Esau's desires, of how Esau made his decisions. And it's a warning to us, family. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 It tells us, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, and lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. 
For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, Esau, he did not care about the birthright. He did not care about the spiritual rights or the spiritual place of leadership that the birthright would bring. The only thing that Esau cared about, as we'll see in the next chapter, is only the blessing of the birthright. He didn't care about the leadership. He didn't care about the spiritual portion that he would not have to be the leader of the home. He only wanted more stuff when Isaac passed away. He was led, as Psalm 17 says, he was led by his own belly. Whatever his emotions wanted, whatever his desires wanted, whatever would lead to happiness, that is the path that Esau would take. So again, family, where are we living Two men, same father, one lived his whole life based on what's my emotions telling me to do? What will bring me the most happiness? What will give me the most comfort? And that is a terrible way to live, family. There's no comfort there. There's no happiness there. There's no joy there. Are there momentary passing seasons of happiness? Yeah. Until the party's over, until the trip is done, until you look at the debt from the vacation, until your marriage is a wreck, until you're hungover, until you're all alone at night and you're saying, what is going on with my life? We need to be careful. We're all prone to being Esau's. We're all prone to being Esau's, to give up our spiritual blessing for a bowl of beans. That girl likes me. This TV show is cool. This thing is funny. It's full of curse words, full of sex. It's rated mature. I would want none of my kids watching it, but it's okay for me to watch it. What are we doing to ourselves? We're giving up our spiritual blessing for a bowl of beans. That's what we're doing. May we not be that believer. May we say, no, I'm going to fight. I'm going to protect this spiritual blessing. I'm going to be that kingdom of priests. I'm going to be set apart from the rest of this world. May we be reminded, right? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to do the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Family, we have to do it. It's not just hearing it. We have to do what we heard. If not, we will drift away. It's a slow drift from, I like this thing too much, this hobby, these friends, this partying, this brunch, whatever it is, and saying, no, Lord, I'm giving it all to you. I know who you are. I know all that you've done for me. How dare I give up this relationship with you? For a bowl of beans. 